Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 1 John chapter 2 from the World English Bible. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have a counselor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. One who says, I know him, and doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. But God's love has most certainly been perfected in whoever keeps his word. This is how we know that we are in him. He who says he remains in him, ought himself also to walk just like he walked. Brothers, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, I write a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light already shines. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness even until now. He who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no occasion for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, little children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God remains in you and you have overcome the evil one. Don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father's love isn't in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, isn't the Father's, but is the world's. The world is passing away with its lusts, but he who does God's will remains forever. Little children, these are the end times, and as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. By this we know that it is the final hour. They went out from us, but they didn't belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have continued with us. But they left, that they might be revealed that none of them belong to us. You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is in the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son doesn't have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. Therefore, as for you, let that remain in you which you heard from the beginning. 
If that which you heard from the beginning remains in you, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he promised us, the eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who would lead you astray. As for you, the anointing which you received from him remains in you, and you don't need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is no lie, and even as it is taught you, you will remain in him. Now little children remain in him, that when he appears we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. That is the end of chapter 2. As I was reading through this chapter, I found that I needed to remind myself that John is writing to common people, not to degree-holding theologians. And he is declaring things, as he says in chapter 1, verse 3, in order that we may have fellowship with God. He's not trying to be hard to understand, as indicated by chapter 2, verse 21, but is encouraging and admonishing us believers in what we know. The first little children here seems to be a term of endearment, much like Jesus uses it in the Gospel of John in chapter 13, verse 33. The context, which is meaningful here, because the section in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, relates to the supper that they are having before the Passover when Jesus washes his disciples' feet to illustrate how they must submit to his washing to have fellowship. Or, as he says, if he doesn't let He says to Peter in particular, if he doesn't let him wash his feet, he will have no part of him. Then, as Jesus explains it, the context is they were already bathed because of their faith in him, but to have continued fellowship, they need continual submission to his ways. What are his ways? To be a servant of the most humble sort. Note that Judas Iscariot is getting his feet washed, but it doesn't have the same meaning because he was not already bathed in faith. So when in 1 John 2.1, John says we have a counselor, who is Jesus Christ, this is the counselor who loved us so much that he died for our sins and gave example of living in humility, which Jesus also gets into in the narrative in the Gospel in the Gospel of John chapter 13.34, where he gives a new commandment to love as I have loved you. In this first epistle of John, John will tie this together in 1 John chapter 3.23 and chapter 4.21, but here in chapter 2's section of his letter, he is still leading up to that, pointing out the thoroughness of Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice available to the whole world and how we know that we know him. This is similar to James talking about works and faith in that discussion, but Recall that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, John has already recognized that there are those in fellowship with Jesus Christ who may still sin, and are, we all know that, and are, we are still taken care of by the atoning sacrifice. The implication is, the strong implication, that the confession spoken of in the first chapter in verse 8 is a once-for-all confession, not something we have to continually confess in order to be continually saved. We may likely in the future have to admit and ask for forgiveness from people, but before God, we have already got an established position. 
So verses 3 through 4 need to be read in light of what his commandments to us are as the church, because we know clearly from many other places we're not under the Mosaic law in that Jesus Christ, as the atoning sacrifice, has dealt with the Levitical application of it, and the covenant of circumcision with the nation of Israel does not apply physically to us, but rather to the circumcision of our hearts. It is along these lines that John's wordplay in verses 7 through 8 make a point, and it becomes more clear. Recall Leviticus 19.18 says, don't take vengeance, love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus Christ quotes this in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31, and Paul also in Romans 13, 9 through 10. But the new takes it to another level to point out that love is more than just not doing something. It is about doing things sacrificially and with a servant's heart, or better yet, with a heart to serve something which God was presenting to the world through Israel, but they were failing to grasp, as you can note in Hosea 6.6, 6, which Jesus also quotes in Matthew 9.13 and 12.7. So the depth and application of this commandment is new to us and is made clear with the incarnated Son of the Trinity of God, who, after much suffering, lays down his life for us. And if we understand and accept What his love has done for us, we cannot do otherwise than learn to also humbly love. In the next section, John is speaking to specific categories, from the young and immature to those with responsibility as fathers or parents. Since it is all male gender, but it's talking about groups, in this context, I would suppose it is gender inclusive, like brothers is throughout much of the New Testament. It doesn't seem likely that he's just ignoring women. So first, for the little children, he mentions the basics. Your sins are forgiven. For the fathers or parents, he says they know God in context of all that has been revealed. He says this twice. And he also says twice of the young men or the young people. He emphasizes their strength in having the word of God in them and that they have already overcome. All of this is ended with, don't love the world. Here it obviously doesn't mean people, whereas in verse 2, it does mean people. Even in the Merriam-Webster online dictionary, the first definition of world is the earthly state of human existence, which is in line with John's following comments here about lust and pride. And then also in the Merriam-Webster online dictionary, the fourth definition is the human race, the inhabitants of the earth, which fits perfectly with the context of verse 2. But getting to verse 18 now, this little children fits most naturally as a father-like term of endearment again, especially because he goes on into heavier inclusive topics like the end times, stating that this world is passing away. The climax of the story is unfolding. The beginning and the middle have passed. This will, of course, remind you of what we just came across in Joel. As for this idea of the Antichrist and also many other Antichrists that have arisen, in the lower case, you might say, the prefix anti means against or opposed to. So this describes people who have taken a stance against Christ. Therefore, the Antichrist takes the ultimate stand against Christ, as also prophesied in Daniel chapter 11, verses 36 through 45, 
and spoken of in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Though the word antichrist is not used in those two examples, the description is the same, someone who is against Christ. And the antichrists, both the many and the one to come, indicate that the final hour, the conclusion, is happening. In these end times, we don't just have false or pagan gods, lowercase gods, of days gone by. These are people posing as gods, definitely against Christ. And here John explains that the many antichrists who have arisen appeared at first to be part of the church, but if they really had been, they would have continued with us, the church. In leaving, they were revealed. With verse 20, he clarifies that they, or we, who believe in the name of Jesus Christ, have all knowledge and truth, but he is affirming that they, or we, know it. Don't be discouraged or confused by the liars who deny Jesus is the Christ, the atoning sacrifice sent for the forgiveness of our sins. In other words, those who are antichrists. A person cannot be of the one true God and deny Jesus as providing the blood that cleanses us from sin. Thus, in verse 24, John tells them that what they heard at first is the truth, which if it remains in them, they are in the Son. This seems like another way of talking about um, instances like we have heard of Peter and Paul in Acts telling people the gospel, all heard but not all believed. Believing in the gospel equals the gospel remaining in you. If you believed, you will remain in the Son, and he promised eternal life. So verse 26 talks about leading astray. Now, this doesn't say losing your salvation. It could be leading people into confusion, such as hindering maturity, or it could apply to those who haven't yet begun to remain in what was heard from the beginning. As an example that it's not talking about losing your salvation, you could say that Peter was led astray in his thinking when he started sinking when he tried to walk on the water, but it didn't mean that he didn't believe Jesus was the Christ, just that he was still immature in applying that to his perspective. Verse 27 speaks of the anointing we all who believe in the name of Jesus Christ received, which means we don't need anyone to teach us. This doesn't conflict with that we can learn from and be encouraged by others, but it will all ultimately be through his anointing that teaches us what is truth, which teaches us that we will remain in him. So why then does he go right on to say, little children remain in him? I think this is along the lines of saved, being saved, and will be saved. One, we are born again. We have rebirth at the moment we take up faith in Jesus Christ. Two, we are being completed because he is faithful, but we have a part in cooperating. And three, we will be completely restored at the end when the dead in Christ are caught up first. So while we remain in our original state of belief in the gospel, we are also encouraged to remain living in his ways, in his light, so that we won't be ashamed like children who didn't really pay attention. If you are wondering, if you are remaining or abiding, as some translations word it, consider that practicing righteousness is a sure sign that a person is born of him. This doesn't actually say here that those negligent in this area aren't saved. See references in 1 Corinthians 3.1 and 3.15 for references 
about a carnal Christian who is saved, but his works are burned in the fire. So wouldn't you prefer to please the one who loved you so much, not according to the world's redefinition of righteousness, which is like accepting what makes people feel good about themselves, or not according to a religious distortion of righteousness, which is more like having to do with serving the institution or having a certain outward appearance, but as having a righteousness that flows from living out our faith in our daily lives because of the God who is love. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 